Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Today's lesson will be great. We're going to talk about contracts, the important things to understand about them, and what things you need to kind of weed out. Right? But before we get into that, a little public service announcement. As you know, Active Duty Passive Income has teamed up with our friends at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. All right, this given season, the we are encouraging you all, all to support uh, them and their mission to eradicate veteran homelessness around our country. So far, there are 38,000 homeless veterans around the country that are still suffering from PTSD and addiction-type symptoms, and they have no place to go. Um, now, the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans does a phenomenal job in providing services and networking to external services for these uh, for these folks. And also, they provide shelter and emergency uh calling center or calling services, right, for those who are experiencing problems before they get into the scenario. Uh, so if you know someone who is in dire need of help, please have them reach out and get the support they desperately need. Um, and please, you know, come and support our team. You can see a link to uh, their GoFundMe. Um, and it'll be in our show notes page. So please, if you feel from the kindness of your heart to give, we encourage you to support. If not, prayers are always welcome as well. So thank you so much for your support in that, and let's go on with the show. Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about contracts, right? We're going to deep dive all the important parts about a contract and how to weed through a lot of the standard jargon that goes into these things. Now, sometimes you look at contracts and they can be six, seven, ten, however many pages, and sometimes it can be a little bit confusing, right? Um, and if you've never seen a contract before, then great. You know, this will be a good informational tool for you, and I'm hoping that um, that you'll be able to take this and go through your contract and kind of see some of what we're talking about here, okay? So uh, let's go ahead and kick it. So when you're looking at a contract, usually the first page will have some of the most important information that you need to see on here, right? Um, so let's talk about the parties, right? Like the buyer and the seller, okay? Who is buying and who is selling? Now, you would think right? That this would be pretty simple, but it's not actually, right? This can get rather complicated if, you know, you're trying to do a specific thing. So for instance, right? It's not, not necessarily just person A and person B. It can be, right? If say Bob wants to buy a house from Susie, then yeah, it'll say buyer is Bob, you know, whatever his last name is and seller is Susie, whatever her last name is, right? It can be that. However, it can also be, let's say, if Susie holds her property in a trust or in a 401k or, you know, some kind of retirement account, right, 
then it'll say under the seller, you know, Susie's 401k, right? Or, you know, Susie's company of, you know, her IRA, her individual retirement account, you know, whoever, whatever entity holds that property is going to be listed in that little name block or name section, right? Same thing for the buyer, okay? So now let's say you as a buyer, if you don't want to buy it in your own name, you don't have to. You can buy this in an LLC or in a business or in your own IRA or in your own you know, retirement you know, account, whatever, whatever it is that you're using, right? Um, and so it's important to understand that the buyer's name has to match up with the uh, the title, which I'll show you later on, right? That little title block. Um, okay, so just keep that in mind. Also, if you're going to get into wholesaling, and I'm not going to talk too much about that yet because we're going to deep dive that in a podcast later on. Um, but wholesaling essentially is like selling the contract, okay? So if you have a property under contract and you want to give someone else the option to buy it, right? This is another spot where you would put this, where your buyer name is whatever business you have, or let's say in your own name, and then right next to it, you say, as or assigns, okay, this is a specific, you know, verbology here that you need to use for assigning contracts. And it essentially means, you know, the buyer, you, and whoever you assign this contract to is essentially what you're saying there. So if you do plan on selling this contract to someone else and wholesaling the deal, then yes, then you can do that as well, okay? So keep that in mind. All right, next is the property description, okay? And what's important here is just to read and understand what you are purchasing if you're if you're on the buyer side or what you're selling if you're on the seller side, okay? Now, this is a lot of times information about the parcel, right? The parcel of the different properties that you um, that you're selling uh, or that you're buying. And again, why I say it's important to understand what you're getting is or what you're losing is because you know you don't want to sell more than you than you have to, or you or necessarily you don't want to buy more either. You know that you don't understand. All right. So the best example here is just something that I faced recently. Um, a few months ago, I was trying to buy a triplex in Mississippi. Unfortunately, that fell out of contract. But what I also didn't realize is that that triplex wasn't necessarily just a triplex. <laughs> I uh, I saw the listing for it, and I ran my numbers, and everything made sense. And so I went and I put an offer on uh, on the property. But what I didn't realize is that in the listing, it also had... Um, not only the triplex, but it had like a piece of land that was next to it. And I didn't realize that even though I saw the long thing in the contract, you know, it's just one of those things you got to really understand. I kind of thought it was just like the parcel description and a bunch of other stuff. No, ended up being like two parcels, one which the triplex was sitting on and another small parcel of land that was like, I don't know, maybe 13 feet by like, I don't know, 20 feet or something. It really wasn't that big. Um, and I really couldn't do much with it other than possibly, you know, a parking, <laughs> a parking lot or something. Right. But it was just a piece of grass. It was right next to the property. Um, which is cool. You know, nothing wrong with that. Right. <laughs> nothing wrong with getting a little more land than you thought. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, it would have been interesting if, you know, it was say 
a portion of the triplex, right? I mean, you don't know, you, you never know how, how they can try and split things. So you got to make sure that you fully understand what it is that you're getting if you're on that buyer side. Okay. Um, if you're on the seller side, obviously it's a little easier for you because you know specifically what you want to sell. But anyway, all right. Uh, next is purchase price. Okay. So this is another thing that you need to understand, right? How much are you going to buy this thing? Right? Or how much are you going to sell this thing? Do you understand how the closing costs are going to work too? Because closing costs means you're going to come a little bit out of pocket on that as well. Unless, of course, you're buying with your VA loan in which you can wrap the closing costs into the loan. Or if your lender allows you to wrap closing costs into the loan as well. And that might be something you want to ask your lender uh, if you're doing a conventional or if you're doing an FHA or something other than a VA loan, right? Um, so yeah, it's definitely important to uh, to understand what you're going to buy or sell, um, and how much you either lose or make in this deal. Okay, um, earnest money deposit is next, and also how you'll pay for the property. Now, the earnest money deposit or the EMD, right? Echo Mike Delta. Uh, this is something that you need to. Oh, that you don't necessarily need to overthink. Um, but you also want to make sure that you're not putting too much down because essentially this is you putting money on the line for this deal, okay? Now, why I say don't overthink it too much is because a lot of different states have different, or even different areas really, right, have have different rules for earnest money deposits. Um, and the reason I say that too is just because of the, the vast ex- vast differences that I've seen between the three states I invest in, Virginia, Mississippi, and Pennsylvania now. In Mississippi, I, I throw earnest money deposits of like $250, maybe $100, right? On properties that I'm purchasing, that's in that fifty dollars to $100,000 mark, maybe even a little bit more, slightly. Um, and it's no problem. Um, in in Virginia, you know, it might be a little bit more on the $500 side, right? Because, you know, I think that you want a little bit more down, right? Typically, but even today, still, that's a little negotiable, right? 500, um, I put a thousand down on one of my purchases, you know, it, it's, it's still kind of variable. In Pennsylvania, apparently, or at least in the Pittsburgh area that I'm looking at right now, it's customary to put $2,000 down for earnest money deposit. And these are for properties that you're purchasing was 30,000, 50,000, whatever. And I'm like, wow, what? (laughs) Like, why is this so high? Right. And you know, that's just because there's some stuff that goes in on the seller side, certain uh, tests and whatnot that they have to order. And so the idea is you don't want to be under what they're putting in to make this deal happen. So, you know, you got to kind of have that balance too. And it's better to talk to your, um, your realtor, your advisor in the area about this kind of stuff, if you're not familiar with the area, um, just so that way you can kind of, you know, be on the same page and not necessarily tell the seller to, hey, I'm not coming in as much in this deal because I don't have faith in it or whatever, right? A lot of times, too, that will also indicate, you know, a seller's confidence if you're the buyer, right? Again, that's going to indicate the seller's confidence that you'll get this deal done, um, you know, if they're, they're going to sell you, let's say a $400,000 property and you go and you put a $500 earnest money deposit down 
or $200 earnest money deposit down, that probably is not enough skin in the game, right, for for a seller to, to have faith on. Uh, the earnest money deposit, they might say, mm, I kind of want you to put $1,000 or $2,000 on the line. Why? Because, again, these contracts are time-sensitive, and everyone, all these parts have to be moving, right? You have to you have to be getting the next thing, getting the next information, be, be ready for close and whatnot, and, Again, like you can kind of get a little bit, a little bit hairy. So usually sellers want to have a little more comfort. Okay. Anyway, beat that up. Earnest money deposit. That's it. Okay. Next is contingencies. Okay. Contingencies are very important. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you understand what contingencies you are following and what contingencies you don't want to follow. Okay. Now, the only time you really have a lot of say in the contingencies that you want to use or or not use is if you're getting a loan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is if you're buying cash because if you're getting a loan from the bank, the bank's typically going to want to, you know, be very very stringent on making sure this is a good deal. And thus all contingencies apply. And when I say contingencies, I'm talking about, you know, your home inspection, your wood and insect inspection, right? Any appraisal uh, or warranty that you may want for the property, right? Um, and, and, and then, of course, pre-closing loss. And pre-closing loss means um, if, let's say, your – oh, here, perfect example too, right? <laughs> Prior experience. So let's say right before closing, you know, water leaks on over in the ceiling over the master bedroom, okay? So it causes a bunch of either mildew or mold or whatever up there, and the ceiling starts to sag. Yes, that did happen to me. That happened to me with my first investment purchase. Uh, it was a condo here in the Virginia area. But yeah, it was like two weeks before closing. You know, they ended up seeing some like green spots in the ceiling or in the overhead above the above the master bedroom. And um, it was weird because they were watching it for a little bit and like, oh, what's this? What's this? And then they started to peel back. Uh, once there was like a little sagging uh, section of it, it started to peel back and they realized that there was a uh, a pipe that was like leaking or whatever uh, above it. And this was from the floor above too. Ended up finding out it was actually a flange for a toilet, which is kind of, you know, ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> long story short, right, we had that issue and that delayed closing uh, because the seller was, was uh, on contract to fix that kind of repair. Okay, so and all that stuff, right? All this stuff is negotiable. So you can always talk through issues as they come up. Uh, Just keep in mind that they will come up and just be ready for it. If you're going to buy cash, I definitely recommend that you, you know, get at least a home inspection done and you get, you know, an appraisal. Or not necessarily an appraisal, but because if you if you know the market value good enough in the area, or you understand how to find it, or you trust your realtor, um, you know in that area, you don't necessarily need the appraisal. That is completely up to you. But uh, home inspection for sure, I would get just so you make sure that you know your your house is good because you you don't know what you don't know, right? You, you can't see everything, every fault in that area, and you also want to make sure that your house is safe enough up to code so you don't get in trouble later on down the road, right? 
And if you're not a home inspector and you don't know this, you don't know what you're looking for, you definitely want to get someone who is contracted, who is licensed, who does know what they're looking for just to help you out, okay? So home inspection for sure. Um, and okay, all right, next. Let's talk about closing, all right? So closing in this section, you really just got to look at how many days, how many days you expect to close. If you're going to get a loan, uh, and it's a conventional loan or a VA loan. Typically, they like 30 to 45 days for closing just so they, they can um, wrap up all the documents and the funds and stuff necessary. Um, if you're going to buy cash, then you can be a lot more flexible. And typically, you can motivate sellers as well. If you're going to buy cash, a lot of times you can motivate a seller to come down on a on a crazy price. You know what I mean? Because what you'll say is, you know, because if you can negotiate a quick closing, like say 10 days, right? That person's going to be relieved of their home in 10 days. Ideally, they'll be a little more motivated to, you know, give you a cheaper price if they know that you're just, just going to throw a wad of cash at them and, you know, just completely eradicate their problem. That's good to go. So, um, so yeah, keep in mind that you can use that for leverage right there. Um, but you also want to take a look at in this section how the property will take title. Okay, this is very important. And again, this kind of goes back to you know you buying the property in a business or in an investment, right, a retirement fund, or in your own name, or maybe even in a trust, right? If you buy the property in your own name. Understand that any time a creditor goes to check your credit report, this mortgage is going, if you're you know going the loan route, right, this mortgage is going to be in your name. Um, and the, then the payment that you're making in the mortgage is going to go against your credit, right? So um, yeah, so as far as your expenses goes, your debt to income ratio, right? Uh, so that stuff is important to understand, especially with the rules as they are now, where you can only get 10 mortgages at one time under your individual name. If you're married, then you as a couple can get 10 each, right? So a total of 20. Um, but, right, those are mortgages, not properties, right? If you're buying property cash, you can have more properties cash. But you can only have 10 mortgages under your name in accordance with the Fannie and Freddie rules. Now, of course, if you're familiar with our education program or you've listened to other episodes, there are more ways to buy a property than going through the bank. So understand that if you're not going through the bank, this stuff's not going to show up on your report. Unless, of course, you're going to like a hard money lender and he or she chooses to release that information to the creditors, which they can do. Um, but you know, typically they won't. So, um, or rather typically I have heard they don't, I have, do not have familiar, uh, familiar experience with hard money lenders, but, uh, yeah, typically they don't usually do that route. So at least from what I've heard. So, you know, keep that in mind. That's another option to you. Uh, they do typically charge at a much higher interest rate. So keep that in mind as well. And we will definitely get into different types of financing on the podcast later on too, just to kind of give you that warm, fuzzy idea of what's out there. But 
Um, but yeah, so regardless, taking title, right? Um, this is going to be important. And if you put it in a business, then you need to make sure that the business is the one that's paying for all these different things. Earnest money deposit, right? Any closing costs that you're going to incur, um, you know, it needs to come from this account or to come from whatever account that you're that you're pulling that you're putting title in, uh, just because you don't want to cross pollinate where your funds are coming from. All right, um, and then of course, right? There's also a section here where you can negotiate how much that seller um, can bring to the closing table. If you know your closing costs are going to cost a certain amount, and you want to go half and half, or you want the seller to cover the closing costs completely. Uh, or if you want to cover the closing costs yourself, right? Um, you can really kind of split this in any way you want. There are certain places where, well, okay. So I, I kind of want to dispel this rumor here because I've heard that there are places where the seller can only bring up a certain amount of closing. Uh, if you do hear this, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to grab two or three other opinions, okay? Because I was told that same thing on a purchase that I had in Mississippi one time, and then I came and learned that that was not the case. And so I had a hard conversation, you know, with my with my uh, realtor, and we were talking about this, and you know, which was completely okay. It was innocent. She didn't know it was that in all the transactions that she had done before, this was kind of how you know things went, and so she just assumed. At this is how things were. It wasn't the case, right? And it's not necessarily her fault. Um, you know, it's just it's just information, right? And if you don't experience something, then you don't know. So, you know, needless to say, in the next deal, we were able to negotiate closing costs a little bit uh, more, and you know, things worked out. So, um, so yeah. So just under, keep in mind that you can negotiate uh, closing costs with the seller. Uh, typically, if there, if you do live in an area where this is not the case, then I would absolutely like to know. So please let me know either, you know, in the comment section or, or, um, or on Facebook, right? Cause definitely want to, uh, want to reach out and, and kind of get a gauge for how many areas this is actually not the case. You know, I'm kind of curious, but anyway, um, but anyway, typically you can negotiate this and there is a section, um, for where uh, you can put the um, the seller to put how much closing they're gonna how much money they're gonna bring to the closing table okay um, all right cool disclosures actually really so the next few things are typically standard information right you got your disclosures you've got your brokers you know who who's kind of in the in the in the know of this, right? If you're a broker or you're a realtor yourself, and typically you'll put your information there just so they understand like, you know, how many people put this deal together and who's going to get commission off of it and uh, such and such. Um, General, right? Again, more standard information here, uh, but, you know, agreements between parties, notices, you know, survival and breach of of contract, um, if breach of contract, right, uh, what will happen after that? You know, um, typically if, you know, if you're the buyer and you're breaching contract, then you'll forfeit your earnest money deposit. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the earnest money deposit and why a lot of sellers want more skin in the game for buyers because, you know, should the contract be uh, breached for any reason, 
um, right? You're going to lose more money. So it makes you a little more motivated in this deal to get it done, right? Um, I lost $1,000 one time going after a piece of land I found in uh, Nevada. And this was right near the Strip. It was like 15 minutes away from the Las Vegas Strip. Um, an amazing corner lot, which, you know, I probably could have put, it was one acre in, in value or in, um, size. And I probably could have split it into two and put two like million dollar homes on top of it. But I got a little, you know, uh, (laughs) I got a little, you know, too happy. I was just starting out in real estate at the time. And you know, what happens when your eyes become too big and, and you, you get all these ideals and, and all that stuff. You know, I got burned from it. I'll end up losing a grand. Uh, it was definitely not the cheapest lesson I've learned. But um, but at the same time, I mean, it was a good lesson, right? And it also is a good, you know, thing to understand. You're going to kind of stick to your wheelhouse when you're getting started. Don't try and venture off into um, too much speculative stuff because you can you can get burned. And I'm fortunate enough to have only lost $1,000. While that is a lot of money, um, I don't see it as a lot of money yet because I'm, well, not yet, but I don't see it as a lot of money in the grand scheme of how much I intend to make in real estate in the long term. Um, and that's a, that's a lesson I'm willing to take on the chin and keep moving. So here we go. Um, but yeah, other ways that you can breach contract. Let's let's talk about them real quick. I don't want to you know deep dive those, but let's say if you were to you know get the home inspection and you were to go past the amount of days that is on contract for you to decide what you want to do. Okay, you get the report back and you can decide. Okay, is this something I want to risk or is this something I'm just going to pass? If you decide that you don't want to go through with that deal within the contract amount of days, maybe it's three, maybe it's four, maybe it's five, whatever, um, then that's fine. You decide, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Thanks again. Uh, Let me get my earnest money deposit back and we're good. Or you can wait 10, you know, 15 days past contract and then decide, oh, well, the home inspections is this and that and I really don't want to do this. So actually I'm going to back out. Well, it's like, all right, well, you, you know, you passed the amount of days. So there's no way you can do that. You know what I mean? Give your earnest money deposit. The seller's going to be mad. Um, another way you can breach contract is let's say, you know, we come to closing, everything's good, everything's good, and then you don't have the money to close on the deal, right? I guess that's the most extreme way, but yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. And now, <laughs> you know, it's really on you. So the seller can decide, okay, do I want to give this person extension like, are they going to get the money so you can close this deal? Or do I just want to back out now and go with another offer and then take this person's earnest money deposit? They can do that. All right, so you got to be very careful if you're going down this route, all right? Um, and you're, you're making an offer. You want to make sure that you can close and that, you know, things – and that you follow the specific guidelines within the contract. There are a few different ways that you can get out of it. Just make sure that you understand – um, and you talk about this with your realtor or whoever is, you know, whoever is uh, negotiating this deal for you. Okay. Um, next spot is the special provisions. Okay. This part's pretty cool um, because this allows you to be creative with the deal, as creative as you want. You know, you get the chance to, you know, to say, okay, you know, I'll bring down a certain amount to the closing cost, close the closing table, and the seller will bring a, another specific amount. Or, you know, they'll cover all of it. Or you can say, you know, 
um, bought, purchase of this property, you know, in, in um, I don't know, in, in conjunction with a warranty, right? If there's like a home warranty that you want to get or specific for how many days or whatever, you can do that. Uh, you can have the seller provide a certain amount of money for repairs, right? This is the spot that you can talk about that as well. Um, really, you can get as creative as you want with this uh, with this deal, and the special provisions section is where you talk about all the stuff that you want. Um, you know, you could even talk about, let's say, you know, the seller will credit you for appliances, or the seller will leave their appliances if they have them in the home. Um, you know, or or if you're the seller, right? If you want to take your appliances, you can. You can say, hey, you know, per, um, sale of this property without appliances or whatever, you know, so anything. Like, you can get as creative as you want with this thing. So keep that in mind. Um, and you also identify where you want to close, too, right? So you can say, you know, we're going to close at the title company. That's typically where closings happen. Um, however, I've also heard of closings happening on the property, you know, I mean, this is kind of, kind of however you want to do it. So, uh, keep that in mind. Um, all right. Next section is the expiration of the offer. And that's pretty standard, right? Um, whenever, if you're, if you're putting an offer in, you can choose how long you want this offer to last. Uh, maybe if you want to invoke a little excitement into it, I don't know. I haven't heard of anyone doing something crazy like this offer expires in 24 hours, but <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I, I just don't know. Um, and then, of course, last is the attachments um, that you add. If you're buying a, a home with a VA loan, right, then there'll be the VA loan or the VA disclosures that they'll toss in there, which is a bunch of you know, paperwork that really can help you out if you need it, you know, mortgage information, people and references that you can call on um, for any questions that you have, or if you're running into any issues with paying your mortgage, you know, stuff like that. Um, and also, you'll have uh, lead-based paint disclosure, and this is pretty common for older homes, uh, especially homes that were uh, made before the 70s. They used a lot of lead-based paint uh, when they were painting um, either the outsides of the house or even, well, I, even sometimes the inside, but you really shouldn't. At, the, at this day and age, you shouldn't see any lead paint on the inside of the house. Typically, it's on the outside of the house uh, for a lot of those older homes. And even now, you know, you don't really see them as much. Um, I think it was more so, you know, 10, 20 years ago for sure. But, um, but yeah, but now I think a lot of times they've, they've, uh, They've gotten rid of some of those. And if you do have lead-based paint around the outside, I've heard that removing this paint can get very expensive. So that might be something you want to check if you have an older home, maybe a home that was, you know, made in like the 40s, the 30s or something like that, right? If you're you're buying something that's historical, that's maybe, you know, not necessarily had any TLC on it at all. You know, it's just kind of been falling apart. That might be something you want to check. Um, yeah, definitely get that checked, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, and then also first right of refusal. Uh, that's another common one. Uh, they're, they're, these, again, these are just like attachments that, that people toss into the, the loan. Um, there's also like a PCDS, I think it's called. Uh, I don't know, but it's some kind of like property disclosure form. Um, that that essentially lists you know certain things that might have been changed 
in the property while the seller has owned it. Um, you know, whether they did something on the roof, they changed out appliances, they changed the water heater, they changed electrical, plumbing, you name it, right? Uh, all this stuff um, will be disclosed on an attachment, um, and they'll tell you typically how old uh, some of these repairs or renovations are. Um, and they'll also tell you what they also didn't do and, and a certain condition of the property, right? They'll tell you that they don't know if like, so, 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 so whenever I'm looking at a property in, uh, in Mississippi and I, and I get a contract ready and I get the disclosure form, it's funny. And I'm only making this joke because it's, I'm sure this is very common across the country, but when the sellers had a property for more than like, you know, two, three years, they might have to give out one of these disclosure forms, right? And they'll ask questions like, are you sure of any existing leaks, you know, from the roof? And of course, it'll say unknown, right? I'll, I'll get that back a lot, unknown. Or are you are you aware of any, you know, discrepancies in whatever, right? Whatever the case may be. They'll go down the list around the entire house and it's just like a whole bunch of unknowns, 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 because that happens to be one of the options. It's not like yes or no. And of course, you know that nobody owns a house for more than a year and doesn't know about a particular problem, right? But it allows you know them to say, oh, they don't know. Because you can't get in trouble if you know you don't know. If you say yes, then you got to – if you do know it, typically you're supposed to disclose it, right? So it should be yes. But, you know, if you don't know, then it's not like if there's not something there. It's just if something comes up, right, it kind of covers your butt. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny because it's something I've noticed all the time, and I think it's complete baloney. But, you know, what can you do, right? Um, again, another reason to get a home inspection, okay? I cannot, cannot recommend that enough. Make sure that you have, even if you do know what you're doing, have a second pair of eyes, look at it. It doesn't hurt. Yes, it'll cost you a little bit, maybe a couple hundred bucks. But you know what? You will be so, so happy to know that, you know, the property that you're getting is, you know, uh, foundationally okay, at least, right? And it'll be the best couple hundred bucks that you spend in that deal, all right? So just get it done. All right. And that's it. That's pretty much it, right? Those are the highlights, right? Of course, you got the signature blocks at the end, but um but yeah, but that's pretty much it. Those are the highlights of the contract. It's very important that you understand, you know, how uh, what you're looking at, read everything. I cannot specify that enough, all right? Even some of the standard stuff, right? If it's your first time looking at the contract, definitely read it. I'd say, you know, if it's your first five or ten times, you know, um, looking at this contract, definitely read it just so that you get a gist for all the standard information, too. And you can see, you know, what is standard and what's not. Excuse me. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's but definitely make sure that the um, the key information, right, the stuff that I highlighted uh, where you have a little bit more sway in the deal, make sure you understand um, you know, what you're getting offered, what you're offering, um, just so that way you, you can be confident in your purchase or in your sale and everything's copacetic. Okay. All right. All right. There it is, guys. Hope you got a lot out of that. I know that contracts can get a little boring looking at them. Uh, if you are familiar with the process, 
Um, but hey, you know, if you haven't, just go and check it out. And also, if you're working with a realtor too, never, uh, yeah, never hesitate on asking them about the contract stuff, right? Uh, because they will absolutely explain everything to you. I mean, they're licensed in that area, and I'm sure they're very familiar with that process, right? So definitely ask and make sure that your questions um, you know, get answered. All right, cool. Thanks so much again for listening. Really appreciate your time. Make sure you connect with us at uh, www.activitypassiveincome.com. Hit up our Facebook, hit up our Instagram page. And, um, and also, please support our friends at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans because it is important. All right. Thanks again so much for your time. Catch you guys later. 